your home of the pins and the best pins coverage. WXDX FM Pittsburgh, an iHeart Radio station. It's Valentine's Day, a place where I lived for seven years, has just been named the single worst city in America for dating. Syracuse, New York. Weird. Donovan McNabb and John Wallace never seemed to have any problems while I was there. My old station in Boston, meanwhile, WEEI, is shutting down on Friday for a full day so its staff can undergo sensitivity training in the wake of a number of on-air suspensions and controversial statements. If I had stayed there, no doubt that would have happened much sooner. Now, a guy talk sports-oriented station needs to shut down for sensitivity training. What's the friggin' world coming to? What's the deal? Sports talk is supposed to sound like NPR now? What's the lead-in going to be for Red Sox baseball? The radio version of This Is Us? Imagine this show with Mark Madden hosting it, or my old show that I used to do with Bob here on the X Morning Show. Imagine that having to endure sensitivity training. Whoever was in charge of the sensitivity training probably would have run out of the room screaming like a failed babysitter from Nanny 911. The funny thing is, Deadspin put this headline on that story. WEEI will shut down for a day to teach its host to be less than hateful bleepheads. All right, you know what I'm saying bleep. I can't say that word, sensitive or not. Uh, substitute a-holes if you want. WEEI will shut down for a day to teach its hosts not to be hateful a-holes. But typical deadspin, right? Let's be purient when we can, but let's be sanctimonious when it's convenient. We'll push the envelope and get away with what we can get away with, but when somebody else does it and gets in trouble for it, then we pile on. That's the Deadspin way. I'm Tim Benz from Trib Live, ESPN Pittsburgh, and of course, the Steelers Radio Network. I'm in for Mark Madden. Speaking of sensitivity, I wanted to get to Mark's column on Tom Bradley and see how many layers of sensitivity I can violate here. So that's coming up here in just the next few moments. Uh, first of all, though, oh, I got to get to Terry in Florida and want to set me straight on something. I, I know where Terry's going with this. Uh, Terry, go ahead. What did I have wrong about curling? Yeah, curling started in the 1500s in Scotland. What do they use instead of the big shiny rocks? Oh, they use stones, and, and all the stones that are used today come from some little town in Scotland, every single one of them, regardless of where they're used. So I was half right. They were still drunk. They just used the stones. Yeah, good double, good single malts. Good enough. I knew that. As soon as we went to break, I knew it. I was like, Scotland. I know it's Scotland. I know they're drunk too, but I know it was Scotland. All right, so now that we got that out of the way. Here's what Mark wrote about the Steelers thing, hiring Tom Bradley as the defensive backs coach in the wake of some criticism that Bradley shouldn't be hired because he was on Penn State's coaching staff while the Jerry Sandusky cover-up was going on. Mark wrote, a terrible thing happened at Penn State. Bradley was merely in the vicinity, nothing more. All right, I disagree with Mark to a degree there, as you heard in my podcast with him on Trib Live, which we played for you here Monday on the X during his show. I think Bradley and other assistants who may have had knowledge or concerns, as Mark himself wrote or heard whispers, they could have done more. Here is where Mark and I do agree, though. Quote, 
Should Bradley's coaching career be terminated because he was at Penn State when the Sandusky scandal transpired? That notion seems insane. But some of my microphone-wielding brethren seem to feel that Bradley should withdraw from both football and society and live out his life as a hermit. Bystanders get hit by shrapnel all the time. Bradley has been hit by enough. Because of the Sandusky scandal, Bradley lost his life's ambition, the chance to succeed Paterno as Penn State's head coach, and for more than just four games. Okay, here are the events as they were presented in court. From Penn Live back in June 2012. During intense cross-examination by Jerry Sandusky's attorney at the former child molestation trial today, alleged victim number four testified that former assistant football coach Tom Bradley once saw him showering with Jerry Sandusky and refused to leave the two alone. I think he was suspicious, said victim four, during testimony that lasted all afternoon on the first day of Sandusky's trial. He said Bradley stayed in the shower and talked to the two until they both left. Also, in a deposition, Mike McQuarrie claims that when he told Bradley about what he had seen, Bradley didn't seem surprised. McQuarrie claims that Bradley went on to tell him a story about a time that Greg Schiano had witnessed Sandusky abusing a child sometime during the 90s. Okay, now, Schiano and Bradley later went on to deny this version of events. Mark writes, Hiring Bradley won't be bad PR for the Steelers. The Steelers won't let it. Well, he was right there because the Steelers didn't announce it until Art Rooney II was done talking to everybody in the media for his season wrap-up. So they were, they were acutely aware of how this was going to go over, and they didn't want to talk about it at all and make Rooney have to defend it. Now, a lot of people in the media around here have been accused of sweeping this thing under the rug, favoring Bradley because media guys here like him, and they don't want to be critical. And you know what? A lot of that is true. Tom Bradley has a lot of friends in the media. I consider myself one of them. Tom and I uh, did a post-game show together on DVE for a year for the Steelers. Tom and I... I've had a couple really long talks about the Sandusky thing, none of which I can say back on the air because, well, I didn't have him under deposition or subpoena at the time. I think we might have been drinking at the bottle shop, which, by the way, should count as being under oath. I I consider it to be pretty much the same thing, but I'm just not going to go there. But frankly, the cynicism is accurate. Media people in Pittsburgh are going to be far less critical of Tom Bradley getting this job than they would if, just for the sake of argument, say Greg Schiano was hired to replace Keith Butler, right? Greg Schiano is just some nameless gray face, as Mike Tomlin likes to say, who's associated with Ohio State and Belichick and Rutgers. Oh, we're not going to like that guy, so let's rip him. Bradley's well-liked around here by media guys and is a double standard, and honestly, maybe I'm less likely to be critical, critical because I'm happy Tom has a job. I'm happy for him. Now, is he the right guy for the job? I have no idea. Never coached the pros. His defense at UCLA at the end wasn't very good, so I have no idea if this is going to work out. But where I will defend Tom without apology is here. To what point is someone who was never charged with a crime in association with a deviant felony, at what point is he prevented from working in his chosen profession because someone else committed the deviant act? How long should Bradley be held liable for something he never saw firsthand, wasn't in charge of, and oh, by the way, didn't do? What should that punishment be? For how long does the court of public opinion outweigh the law of the land? Like, Ray Lewis just got into the Hall of Fame. 412-333-9939.
I'll ask, I'll, I'll just, I'll ask this. Like Pitt fans, for instance, who, who might be Steeler fans as well, and they're critical of this hire. Did you care when he got the UCLA job? Did you care then, or are you only noticing now because it's the Steelers? Or say, for instance, I don't know, like Ravens fans or Bengals fans who want to throw stones. When Bradley got hired by the Bruins, did it even move the needle for you? Like Your fan affiliation shouldn't affect your morals and how you think about such things. And I think at times it has in the way people have rendered their opinions on this. I just don't know for people who think that he and the rest of the Penn State coaching staff should be black, like blackballed. Do you know anybody else besides Tom Bradley right now and Mike McQuarrie what they are or aren't doing? We know about Shiano because the whole thing that just came up with Tennessee. Anybody else in that staff? Do you know what they are or aren't doing? Real quick, turn to somebody next to you and rattle off every other coach who's on that staff what they are or are not doing. It's like we only pretend to care when our teams are involved. And that's the point I'm getting at. We're very selective in our application of our feelings and our moral outrage. Not to tie it to Deadspin or anything like I just did, but that's kind of the case, is it not? 412-333-9939. Let's go to Matt, who's calling from Murraysville. Go ahead, Matt. Hey, Tim. I'm going to preface this with I'm a Penn State alum. I'm not a Steeler fan. Steeler fans are going to be upset about Tom Bradley getting hired but they weren't upset whenever James Harrison was brought back after allegedly beating up his girlfriend, you know, Heinz Ward and his multiple DUIs, all that other stuff. So it's just selective outrage, and it makes Steeler fans look like hypocrites in my mind. Uh, I think that when it comes to um, who you decide to be mad at and when, I think the colors that you wear go a lot deeper than black and white and what's written down. And, and I do think there's some truth to what you're saying. Uh, we will choose to tune a blind, turn a blind eye when it's convenient for us, and we will choose to be upset when we feel like being upset will curry more favor when our voice screams the loudest, whether it's on Twitter or to somebody else who may or may not be listening on a bar stool. John, downtown, you're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Tim, big fan, big fan. Hi, John. I think we should just all step back and paint nice little trees amongst the night amongst number 87. He will calm everyone's nerves. Number 87 will lead us to a third us whatever. Will lead the penguins to a third straight cup. Well, he's and good enough. Trained, 71's he, good enough. 87 or uh, 58's good enough. They're all good. The way they're playing right now is fantastic. One thing I keep looking at though, John, is none of these guys luckily have had to endure the really bad injury stretch that many of them have in years past. Do they have the depth to offset that as they have had in years past? Like, can Riley Sheehan rise up and be the number two center if Malkin or Crosby should go down and the other one has to jump up to be a one all by themselves? No, no, if I may ask him, what do you see in the rest of the NHL that puts any sort of fear in, you know, against the Penguins? I, if you ask me, the rest of the NHL... I, I, I mean, besides the Pens being, you know, dominant like they've been the last two years, are there any other, you know, the the, the Nashville came up and the, the Lightning came up. You know, Toronto maybe this year may have a deep run, but the rest of the NHL is just, I don't think... Well, you mentioned Toronto. They've got 73 points. They're in third place in their own division. You know, Tampa and Boston are in front of them. I would say Tampa and yeah. Boston would pose a real threat. 
Uh, as far as other teams in their own division, we know Washington's good. They usually lose to the Penguins, but we know they're good. Uh, where have the Flyers come from? Why have they gotten good all of a sudden? Probably goaltending will undercut them, but you know those three teams atop the Atlantic make me wonder. Nashville's really good again. Uh, the Vegas they, really Nashville they got seventy seven points. I don't I don't believe in Nashville. Nashville made it all the way last year. Nuh-uh. Yeah, well, well, they, they made it all the way last year, and they're leading the Western Conference. They're second in the Western Conference, so obviously they're good. I mean, like you said, they made it all the way last year. Yeah, and the series lasted six games, and we're sweating it out for the first two. Y- you can't just discount everybody else because you happen to win the two most recent ones. You, know, you can't just say everybody else stinks because we won the last two. I would also say because some of the depth has been eroded from the team of years past, is if you took this Penguins team and put it up against the last two, I'd take the last two over this one. Uh, I would. So I'm not ready to go down that path and say just because they won the last two, nobody else in the NHL is good enough to beat them now. Well, one thing we always forget about the Penguins, they won four elimination games, four elimination games over the course of this two-year run. Two against the Lightning, and then one against the Sens, and one against the Capitals. So they're four for four in the Sullivan era in elimination games. It's not like they've blown everybody out of the water. They've been tested on a few occasions. 412-333-9939. Plenty more to come. Uh, We're going to talk hockey with Mike Rupp when he joins us. That's coming up at 430. Also, when we come back, uh, we'll continue talking about the Penguins. I want to get more into this Tom Bradley discussion that Mark kicked up on Trib Live. And the state of pit hoops, where they may win, and a misconception about the program. That to come too. Tim Benson for Mark Batten. Super genius. What were you afraid more of, Satan or teabagging? Sorry, teabagging. Great story. Compelling and rich. DX at 105.9. Weird story coming out of West Virginia. Okay, maybe not weird, but just interesting, unique. Uh, of all things, West Virginia, you trailblazers, you. Uh, so West Virginia is apparently trying to... Uh, push the envelope when it comes to sports betting, like legalized sports betting. And um, I haven't been too up on this story, but Pro Football Talk wrote about it. And apparently the legislature is moving forward with the intent of gambling on sports in casinos. Like if you go to you know, one of the casinos outside of Wheeling or something like that, like Mountaineer or something like that, um, you could make a sports bet if you wanted to. I'm not quite sure what the appeal of that is anymore, what with online gaming and all, but you know, people still like to do it. Sit in the casino, put your money down, watch the game, have a beer, and get paid off at the end of the night. Oh, okay, fine. So if you want to do it that way, if that's what floats your boat, like going to Vegas and doing it for March Madness, cool, whatever. So they think this is going to bring more money into their casinos. They want to give it a shot. And Major League Baseball, this is just something else to keep an eye on for the Pirates, how they're going to get more money and not put it back into the team. And ironically enough, it's going to come from West Virginia, by the way. Um, Major League Baseball and the NBA are both speaking out about this bill that's moved forward in the legislature, not necessarily because they're really that ticked off that West Virginia wants to legalize sports gambling, but because they're not getting a cut. Apparently... They want to get a 1% rake on everything that is brought in from the casinos, and they're going to call it what amounts to an integrity fee. <laughs> like, to make sure that there's, they're going to put extra safeguards in to make sure, this is West Virginia, mind you. So, like, 
I, I don't know, Major League Baseball has to put in some sort of extra safeguards to make sure that people that are betting 10 bucks that the Pirates are going to lose to the Astros, like you would need to throw 10 bucks on that happening, that you're not going to corrupt the game somehow, go up 79 or, or, or come in across the river and, like, I don't know, infect the Pirates and throw the game. He should have had integrity walked away. An integrity fee, yes, integrity fee, exactly. Come on, you need money to make, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to spend that money? You're going to pocket that money, and then the Pirates are going to double pocket that money. Give me a break, an integrity fee. Oh, for God's sakes. Speaking of a lack of integrity, how about the Pitt Panther basketball team? Oh, my. <laughs> no integrity when it comes to protecting a lead. I can tell you that. One of their best, perhaps their only remaining chance aside from Wake Forest of winning an ACC game, they blew a 15-point lead against Boston College yesterday. And people are just crushing Kevin Stallings right now. And it's been awful. I, I get that. It's been terrible for everybody to sit through as a Pitt Panther basketball fan. I, I'm with you. I love college basketball. It's my second favorite sport after the uh, NFL I've really become disinterested in the Pitt program, and that's not my nature, but I am right now because of how bad they are. But the funny thing is, like, I, I think more blame is being put on him for this year. This is where the cupboard was left bare by Jamie Dixon. We all attach that phrase to last year. Last year they had, like, four, five guys who were impact players back from a tournament team. You get four or five impact starting players back from a tournament team, and you go belly up like they did last year, that was far more... To let it get as bad as it did last year is a much bigger deal than the struggles that they've had this year. That's my quickie take on the Pitt program. We can get into it later. I've just heard and seen a lot of that on Twitter over the last 24 hours, and I think that needs to be said. The, the sins of Kevin Stallings were much more about how he handled last year's team more than his inability to get something out of nothing, blood from a stone, with this year's team. Sean's calling from Dormont. Hi, Sean. How you doing, Tim? Good, uh, Sean. You, there, you can't have enough of the old morning show clips. I, I love the... Uh, integrity fee. Integrity guy. Yeah, integrity oh, fee. One of, the best, one of the best of all time. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about the Pens. Uh, I, a few months ago, I was not high on Riley Shan as the third-line center, but I think uh, a lot of people have spoken of how he, he's really gotten better, and I think he's just playing the game instead of thinking it. But I, I, the one area I want to see addressed is the fourth line center. I don't, you don't have to give up as much for that. I think a guy like Thomas Mechanic would be a perfect fit, and you wouldn't have to give up the farm like you would for Broussard. And then his cap hit wouldn't be too much. Uh, I actually think he's a free agent because I think they have to resign Hornquist. I'd like to see him as a fourth line center instead of Carter Rowney. I see, just, and to be honest with you, I think and appreciate the call, Sean. I'm up against it with Mike Rupp coming up, but I would almost like to see a guy like Placanic come in. You could call him third, fourth line. I don't care how you refer to it if the other two are healthy. But I think if you took Placanic and put him in a Geno or Sid role, if one of those two should get hurt, you would yield better results than if you elevated Riley Shayan. We'll talk to Mike Rupp about it. We'll get his take. But uh, that's my generic view in general about how they should address their center position. It's as much about bolstering yourself against injury right now than it is improving on Riley Shayan. That, to me, is the bigger conversation. We'll have it with Mike next. Tim Benson for Mark Madden on the X. This is Evgeny Malkin, and you are listening to Mark Madden on 105.9 The X. 
Gino Malkin with a goal last night. A couple for Zach Aston Reese and Jake Gensel as well. Joining me right now to discuss, you know him from the NHL Network, former Pittsburgh Penguin as well. It's Mike Rupp. Rupper, good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, Benzie. How are you? Excellent. By the way, Mike is brought to us by Auto Palace Porsche. Make every day a Porsche day with the new McCann. All right, Mike, let's uh, talk in depth about last night's game and the impact that was made by both Jake Gensel and Zach Aston Reese on the wings. What did you make of those two performances, in particular Aston Reese, who got glowing praise afterwards from uh, Mike Sullivan, not only about his goal scoring, but his two-way game as well? Yeah, I mean, when you start with Jake Gensel, I think that he set that bar so high last year and the way he performed in the playoffs that a lot of times this season you were – we're all kind of looking at him like, when's Jake Gensel going to get going? All of a sudden, now you look at it, 18 goals. He's probably going to be finishing around the 25 mark, which is pretty darn good. Uh, that's an exceptional second season in the National Hockey League. So um, I love the fact that he can bounce around that lineup, and that's a big thing with him. We know what he can do and has done with Sidney Crosby, but then he can bounce around and play with different guys and be productive. If he can continue that, I think that's one of those, a uh, little bit of the secret sauce that's given the Penguins such uh an edge over the last couple of years is having that depth scoring on different lines. Um, Zach Aston Reese, I, I love the fact the way he's playing the game. He was involved every shift yesterday in that game, and he um, seems like he understands what he needs to bring to be out there, and he's got to get involved and get in those dirty areas a little bit. It also doesn't help, or it doesn't hurt, I should say, when you look uh, over your shoulder and you've got number 87 out there with you as well. So I like the way Mike Sullivan is putting these guys uh, in a situation to succeed, it's up to those guys to respond, and I think that he took full advantage. Mike, I want to go back to what Mike Sullivan did say about Aston Reese and his ability to play a 200-foot game, and that's something that players of his ilk don't often get credit for because if you think of a guy that does a lot of center driving and going hard to the net, uh, you just can't get back in the play as quickly as need be to make an impact defensively because you're so down deep all the time. But I've heard Sullivan many times over say something similar about Patrick Hornquist, and more and more as Hornquist's Penguin career has gone along. For physical guys who like to camp themselves in front of the net offensively, are they above average in playing a two-way game in your eyes? Yeah, you know, and I think that that's such a a big part. When you have a team that is expected to have a a big run um, or just even a playoff, a team that has playoff aspirations that certainly the Penguins do, you need to have the trust of your coach for to be a depth player. I, I think, um, I mean, to be kind of candid here, if you look as far as the Daniel Sprong, maybe that's why a guy like that isn't there. He doesn't fully have that trust maybe in the playoff game to do those things in the 200-foot game. And now you get a guy like Zach Aston-Reese that's showing that he's able to do those things. Uh, the thing I like about it a lot, and I think that another example you can use that's a little bit different, but uh, Riley Shane comes over from Detroit. He has to earn that trust of Mike Sullivan first from the D zone. He didn't come up with offensive numbers right away, but now that he's solidified himself in that area, now he can kind of ad lib on the offense a little bit. And I think that when you're a young guy coming in the league, especially this time of the season, you've got to be able to take care of your own end, play in those areas. Don't even be concerned about the offense. Listen, if this Penguins team's relying on a Zach Ashton Reese uh, to drive offense or Riley Shane, then they've got bigger problems on their plate. And that's no knock to them. It's just the way they're slotted in this lineup. I was a player uh, in my rookie year in New Jersey in 2002-2003 season where it was a team that down the stretch, um, I was playing a, a top six role, but I, I, I didn't play a 200-foot game. And come trade deadline time, I found myself 
um, kind of on the outside looking in as far as we picked up some veteran players that slid into those spots. And at the time, it's a tough pill to swallow, but I understood, hey, if I'm going to be in those important situations, I got to know how to handle them. And I had to buckle down in those areas. I, I like the fact that he's bringing that and uh, those types of players. We know how important Patrick Hornquist is. Um, he, it's the intangibles. That's what those guys have to bring. You can let, you can let top guys skate a little bit. As, and when I mean by skate, I mean uh, kind of work outside the box a little bit. Um, those guys, you got to know exactly what you're getting, and uh, he looks like he's got the trust of the coach. Mike Rubb joining us, NHL analyst for the NHL Network and AT&T Sports Network as well. Mike, since you brought up Shane, I want to go there next. Um, all right, here's a guy who, as you point out, probably has done better than we had uh, the right to anticipate here in Pittsburgh since he's gotten on board and seems to be becoming more and more ingrained as time has gone along. The only reason I'm going to say that I still want to see the Penguins get a little bit deeper at the center position of the trade deadline is if he were to be elevated into a second-line role, much like we saw Nick Benino have to do a number of times over, I have the fear that he won't be able to handle that offensively in the same way, say, as a, for instance, a Derek Broussard could. I know we just saw him last night. You give your thoughts on him, too. But somebody of more um, offensive acumen could, if they were to be called upon, should Sitter Gino get hurt for a bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a... a a big if um, we don't know that yet. Uh, Nick Benino handled that in, in a way that was pretty unique. I mean, he, he was able to get in there and when you're in that top six role, if you have to sub in for that, you still got to, you've got a foundation. You can't change your game, but you also have more responsibility offensively. So um, I, I like the way that Shane has shown he's capable of doing those things. I, I don't know if I would write him off to be able to, I don't know, kind of keep his head above water or the team's head above water if that unfortunate situation presented itself. But, um, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, if you're able to get a guy, whether it's a guy like a Derek Broussard or another guy that can jump in and, and be in that spot, I think you, you look at that team and if you can have the luxury of having a Riley Shane as your fourth-line center, uh, now you're cooking with gas. And uh, that's something that would really uh, solidify that lineup. But there's a lot of if in that situation too, because of the cap situation and, and who do you give up and, and, and all those good little things. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a guy, I, I don't know. I mean, he seems like he just keeps building and he's proven to me each step of the way since we picked him up from the Detroit Red Wings that uh, we haven't really seen the ceiling on him yet. He's been a nice steady climb. And uh, I, I like that. I like that he hasn't, he hasn't peaked and then kind of dwindled off. So um, it's still to be unseen a little bit with, with Riley Shane. Did you ever get traded in the middle of a game, Mike? <laughs> no, no. Uh, I find it crazy, though, because you, I, you know, I don't want to, uh, I'm certainly not in that room with the, the GM, um, but I think before the game starts, you probably have some inclination that this could happen. And um, I don't know. I mean, it takes, especially a guy that plays the role of Deump enough, block a shot and the guy's foot's broken or something, then you can't trade him or, or a situation like that. But it's, pretty unique you know we're watching the game and he had that one really tough shift on the the one goal where he was turned the puck over a couple times so I didn't know if he was getting benched then I saw hey he ain't even on the bench so uh you knew something was up and probably thinking more injury related but uh that's nuts we've seen that now a couple times we saw it uh we saw it before with uh, Matthew Shane when he got pulled from the game over in uh overseas and uh really really unique circumstances 
since they are starting the fire sale now in Ottawa, what did you think of what you saw from Pajot and Broussard and how they might fit here, either one of them? Yeah, I think either one would be great. Um, you know, it's those are guys that the, the one thing I'll say about Pajot is is I'm not overly concerned. I, I have a, a little special place in my heart for for players that can uh, raise their game. And when the when the the games get bigger and everything's under the microscope, how are guys going to respond? Can they get bigger in those in those situations? Um, his season hasn't been spectacular. That team's team uh, this season hasn't been spectacular, but his postseason was, and he was pretty darn good for that team. So I like the fact you can say, hey, that was just one time thing. He, he, maybe he's not that kind of player, but what I've seen so far, he's a guy that. He can push it. He can push the envelope a little bit. So I think there would be some uh, certain value and experience with him at his young age. Derek Broussard, what is his nickname? It's like Big Game Broussard or something. So I think that that's enough said. He comes up with big goals. He got that with the New York Rangers, um, a very clutch player. Those guys, uh, it'll be uh, very, very interesting to see what the Ottawa Senators team does. Um, again, in a, in a perfect world, you had a guy like that, you fall in love with the Penguins roster even more. But uh, I like what Riley Sheehan has done, and I think this team has really proven uh, a lot of people that are skeptical, and, and that probably includes myself, that they, they have to make a change. Maybe they don't. Yeah, um, see, that's what we've but, been talking about all day, Mike, and I'm glad you went there, and I wouldn't mind getting a few more thoughts from you on it insofar as uh, I would still prefer to see them add uh, a depth if they can because they've needed it. Uh, in the playoffs in recent years, and like I said before, I'm paranoid because they haven't had their big injury yet, so to speak. Um, I would like, aside from Hornquist, I would like to see them get at least one more forward, likely a center, and maybe whatever version of Ron Hainsey they can find again this year on D. Yeah, and I, you know, you, you look as far as the runs in the last couple of years that the Penguins have been on, there is, you have to, yeah, I mean, in a in a perfect world, you're running. You've got probably nine or ten legitimate guys who can step in on the D. Um, it's a long playoff grind. Guys can drop. We've seen that on the back end. You need to have those guys. So I'd love to get some more depth guys back there. Does that affect the top six? I don't know. Maybe, but more importantly, it's a little insurance policy for the top six. Um, the forward unit, same thing. You need you need players. You need. You need bodies. You need guys that have experience, that have the young legs, that bring something to the table because chances are you're going to need some of them, if not all of them, uh, down the stretch. I think it goes even with the goaltending department as well. You need to have, you need to be really deep if you're a team that really thinks you can contend, and this Penguins team is one of those teams. Final 60 seconds with Mike Rupp from the NHL Network and AT&T Sportsnet. Mike, the Pens have 68 points right now. There are nine teams with 70 or more. Of those teams, which is the most likely to win the Cup if it's not Pittsburgh? Not Pittsburgh. Um, hmm. Is it Tampa? I Tampa, I'm, these are pretty much front-runner choices I'm going with here, but I, I would say Tampa, um, and the, I, I really like this National Predators team. I think they're a different team than last year. Those are the two teams that I think are built. Just like I said with those, the depth, they, there's no teams that have the depth that those two teams have. Um, I, I like the way they're built, so those are the ones I would go with. I agree. Mike, thanks. Appreciate it. Always great catching up with you. We'll have to do it again soon. Sounds good, Benzie. All right, that is Mike Rupp from the NHL Network and AT&T Sportsnet.
Joining us, as always, from Auto Palace Porsche. Make every day a Porsche day with the new McCann at Auto Palace Porsche. Okay, when we come back, Bob McLaughlin joins me. A couple things to get to with Bob before we hit the top of the hour. We're going to talk some football in the top of the hour, some Steelers specifically as it relates to Le'Veon Bell. But when Bob comes and joins us, we have to talk about whatever happened to the meat truck and the best excuse ever to get out of a speeding ticket. I found that on Twitter before the show started. Tim Benz with you and for Mark Batten on the X. Well, I'm not sure. It's just big and it's soft and I use a bunch of pillows and I snore. The X at 105.9. Tim Benz for Mark Batten. Top of the hour, we're going to talk some Le'Veon Bell here in the 5 o'clock hour. Bob McLaughlin joins me right now, brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. Bob, it's been 24 hours, and I've heard nothing about the return and recapture of the Schwanz's meat truck. Have you? I, I'm amazed. I haven't seen anything. I, I sent a direct message to Kara Sapida earlier today. I have heard nothing. Nothing. Of course, they got the golf cart. We know that. Uh, I'm sure it's been thoroughly dusted for prints. Uh, no one is giving up. We, we had the report of the police chase through Claysville. Claysville, yes. West that's the last we heard of it yesterday. You're right before West Virginia, right before the border, right? So, you know, I can't believe that those trucks don't have like a low jack device or a, hey, you know, I'm just sitting here in a parking lot sleeping. I'm not delivering my meat today. $70,000 truck with $6,500 worth of meat. <laughs> In the back. Somebody is, like I said yesterday, somebody is having a hell of a Valentine's meal tonight. Okay, now that's good. Getting on a golf cart, driving down 136 for seven miles, stealing the Schwantz's meat truck is B-level. This is A-level. Dateline, Elizabethtown, Kentucky. A woman who led police on a chase told arresting officers that she was the Mother Mary en route to pick up the baby Jesus and had permission from God to speed. <laughs> Someone's been watching a little too much Waco. Wow, I know today's Ash Wednesday, but officer, I'm not really sure that that one's going to float, huh? WDRB-TV cites an arrest report saying a Kentucky trooper attempted to pull over 52-year-old Connie Allen. Virgin Mary wasn't 52, was she? She's I don't bit, know. She's a little bit younger than that, wasn't she? Had to be. All right. Although, there's all sorts of things in that story that, you know, <laughs> you don't really need a fact or factual based <laughs> Let's yeah. not take any of these into question. Right. Well, don't we know how Jesus was, what, 34 when he died? Go with 52 with her age, okay? okay. No, I believe her at 52. According to her driver's license, the Virgin Mary's driver's license, she's 52. They ignored, She ignored the cops. High-speed chase ensues, right? Another trooper gets uh, eventually able to pull in front of her, like, you know, you see on cops all the time. Well, don't tell me they California pitted yes, the Virgin they did. Mary. <laughs> They California pitted oh. the Virgin Mary. Oh, no. So the second cop approaches her car with his weapon drawn. She refuses to get out or show her hands. The report says she became compliant, though, when the first cop came and batted the window with the police baton. This sounds like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I, I don't know if she tried to bribe them with frankincense and myrrh. I really can't be certain about that. But she is charged with several offenses. It's unclear if she has a lawyer. The coup de grace to this story is she claimed to the officers that she died five years ago. Oh. And she it, came back to life to pick up the baby Jesus. Like I said, Tim, don't try and put the pieces of this puzzle together and come up with one sane picture. That's I don't a, think that, that's going to happen. That's a great way to try to get out of a speeding ticket. That's a very creative way. The biggest thing missing from this story, though, is what? Where's Why the baby she speeding? Jesus? No, oh, where's the baby Jesus? Right. Where, who'd you leave him with? Who's <laughs> taking care of the baby Jesus? Daycare? I'd like to know that. If he's I'm in, in charge of the baby Jesus in Kentucky somewhere. Tim, he's at the market trashing the place. 
He doesn't want that going on in his house. If he's the baby Jesus and he's in Kentucky, we all know John Calipari is already recruiting him. You know what, Tim? I was supposed to give up this these kind of jokes for Lent, and on the first day already, you dragged me back in. Actually, no, I'm giving. Wait, up- was that was that one of your uh, promises? For no, Lent? I'm giving up Pepsi for Lent. Oh, well, it's, you do this. You do that every year for Lent. No, you I tried always- it once. Yeah, I remember that. It didn't go so well. Didn't go well at all. So we got about three my- morning shows in before you gave up on it. Right. Uh, we gave so up on giving up on it. I should in say. In the years since, I've done the can't swear for every swear. I give a dollar to Light a Life Mission. So now, no irreverent jokes. Well, I can't afford that again this year you know i can't afford that so i'm just doing the pepsi we're a couple of hours in it's it's not going well all right kennedy catholic you know the uh, big basketball fact yes there, right so my buddy brian went there for for high school uh, so you're a pit fan right yeah so brian well, brian text well do I go to the to games be. and watch them anymore <laughs> Uh, ask me again. I'd rather admit to kidnapping the baby Jesus from the Kentucky daycare. Darn, than I gave up fan. lying for Lent also. Sure, Tim, I watch every game. He sent me the stat, and I looked it up, and it's actually true. Stat of the day. Ryan Luther leads Pitt in offensive rebounds with 36. Still. Still. <laughs> he hasn't played in over two months. December the 9th. I'll give it again. Ryan Luther is still the leading rebounder at the University of Pittsburgh on, on the offensive side of the glass. Offensive rebounds, 36-9. That leads the team. He hasn't played. Thir- December 9th is the last time he Was played. that a tweet you saw that on? No, my buddy texted it to me. Okay, so today, send that out as a tweet. And today at practice, I think Coach Stallings, hey guys, one thing we're going to work on today. This, <laughs> right here, somebody, the next closest is 33. 33 offensive rebounds behind Ryan Luther. They blew. I, first of all, I can't believe they had a 15-point lead to blow. And then they went 10 minutes without a point. Is that right? 10 minutes? Yeah. And then they got waxed. 25% of the game they went without scoring. Too, too long. Did, did the Penguins go a 10-minute stretch without scoring last night? <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> that Jocelyn Lamarouchik had more points in six seconds than Pitt had in 10 minutes. All right, I'll put you on the spot right now. Do they beat Wake? Yes, they beat Wake. Do you think so? I, they beat Wake, yes. I do Folks, think that, yes. you heard it here first. You heard it here. Well, no, I'm sure Kevin Stallings has said it. but No, you, no, no. Our listeners heard it here first. Pitt will beat Wake just to say that they didn't go the whole season without a win. I can't wait till the morning after that game. People are going to be throwing open the Triv Live Sports. Just <laughs> They're going to be just running like people you know, getting news one in the old days. One member from the Oakland Zoo should storm the court. One lonely kid all by himself, the one kid left from the Oakland Zoo should run out of the court. Yeah, the Oakland Zoo ought to be ashamed. I mean, thick and thin over the years, they're not really holding up too well right now. And then they should demand that Kevin Stallings get his name introduced for pregame warm-ups for the next game. <laughs> All right, uh, when we come back in 30 seconds, some thoughts on Lev Bell. That's coming up next. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden on 105.9 The X.